0: Hey, Lighthouse Niagara family, this is Pastor Joel Sloss. I hope that the message you received today blesses you so, so much. Uh, but today we're going to take a deeper look at the hymns, uh, which, which is found in the Psalms, uh, which is the book that I and many others call the Songbook of the Bible. More specifically, we're going to look at why the Songbook of the Bible is punctuated with so many commands directed towards our emotions. You know, why when we're reading the Psalms do we read passages like this? Love the Lord, all you His saints. That's Psalms thirty-one twenty-three. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Psalms thirty-three eight. Let all the upright in heart exalt, Psalms sixty-four ten. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Psalm ninety-seven twelve. Be glad in the Lord. Psalm thirty-two eleven. Hope in God. Psalm forty-two five. Give thanks to the Lord. Psalm thirty-three two. And finally, delight yourself and the Lord, that's Psalms 37.4. Those are eight commands that we receive. I'll just remind you of them. To love, stand in awe, exalt, rejoice, be glad, hope, give thanks, and to delight. Now let's be clear on these passages. None of these are a testimony. There are in the Psalms many testimonies as well, and I'll read a couple of those, just a few examples. I love the Lord, Psalm 116.1. There is nothing on earth that I desired besides you. Psalm 73, 25. How sweet are your words to my taste. Psalm one nineteen one o three. 103. These are all testimonies, but none of these are a promise either. There's plenty of promises about our emotions in the Psalms. He satisfies the longing soul. Psalm 107, nine. The humble will be glad. Psalm 69, 32. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. Psalm fifty-eight ten. Now, these are promises, right? We've heard some, some promises now, but, but none of these are a prayer either. There are plenty of prayers for our emotions in the Psalms. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice, Psalm 51, 8. Gladden the soul of your servant, Psalm 86, 4. Satisfy, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days, Psalm 90, 14. But at the beginning I read eight commands, commands. They're not testimonies, they're not promises, and they're not prayers, they're demands. God is demanding and the language that we're going to use today is that God is rather commanding believers in the songbook of the Bible to do something. Delight in the Lord, love, stand in awe, exalt, rejoice, be glad, hope, give thanks, and delight. Not testimonies, not uh, promises, not prayers. These are commands. Commands directed toward the spirit of believers, that we should uh, allow our emotion and spirit of delight, and not just delighting in general, right, as the world does for a time, but that we should delight specifically in God. All of them are commands that are centered on delighting in one thing, our God. Love God. Stand in awe of God exalting God, rejoicing God, be glad in God, hoping God, delight in God, and give thanks to God for God. Why? That's the question we're asking this morning. Why is the songbook of the Bible punctuated with so many commands directed toward our emotions? Specifically, why are we over and over in the Psalms commanded to be glad in the Lord, Psalm 32, 11? rejoice in the Lord, Psalm 97:12? delight in the Lord, Psalm 37, four. You might think it's, it's a funny thing for me to say, that Psalms is commanding us to be glad, to delight. It's like, you don't have to command me to be joyful. You don't have to command me to try to be happy. Like, I think that's the pursuit of everybody's life. You know, that's a pretty easy one for me to tell you that God is commanding us to do. Usually, when you hear about God, God's commands to us, you're like, oh, that's challenging. That's contrary to what I would have for myself that's, that doesn't sound like something I necessarily want to step into. But when you hear me telling you that God's command for you today is to delight or, or to be glad, you know, I can follow that command easy. Joel, you can, Pastor Joel, you can st- st- step down. You don't need to pre- preach the sermon. I'm, I'm ready to delight. I'm ready to be glad. That's that's a pretty easy one. But I must assure you that delighting in the Lord is not the same as what you have for yourself. Delighting in the Lord very often and and almost always is counter to how your flesh craves pleasure. As we look at the Psalms, the the Bible's songbook, we will see how God is demonstrating how he cares for us beyond how many of us may recognize uh, in every facet of our being. You see, throughout scripture, we often see this, this concept, this idea that God does care for us. In the gospels, we see how God cares for our souls when he sends his son to die for us. Uh, for our sin and our separation from him. You see throughout scripture, we also see how God cares for our physical being by healing us and telling us to treat our bodies like a temple. He gives us healing for our physical ailments and he also reminds us that we ought to take care of ourselves, take rest when we need to, uh, to, to pray for healing when somebody needs it, either for sickness or for, for our own bodies when they're broken down. But throughout uh, your, your life, you may have heard people to tell you that you should ignore your feelings and that you should push them aside because your heart and your feelings will deceive you. It says that in scripture, your heart is deceptive. So you should push your feelings aside. But perhaps what we must learn from the songbook of scripture is in fact that God cares for you emotionally and spiritually. And he knows that your feelings are of the flesh, but by the renewing of our minds and spirits, we can actually begin to delight in something new. We can begin to delight in the Lord and see how God does in fact care for our emotional, and spiritual well-being as well. Why? Why is the song book of the Bible punctuated with so many commands directed towards our emotions? Specifically, why are we over and over again commanded to be glad and delight in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, delight in the Lord? The answer already begins to unfold in the very first chapter of the Psalms, right from verse one. God begins to lay out the reason that he would command us to delight in the Lord, to delight in him and only him. Starting from Psalms 1, it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's Psalms 1, 1 to 3. How beautiful. How incredible, what a, what a great message. But then it also tells us what happens if we don't delight in the Lord, if we are like the wicked. In Psalms 1, 4 to 6, it says, not so with the wicked, they are like chaff and the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That's Psalms 1, 4 to 6. You see, Psalms one describes two types of people. First, there is the blessed man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That's Psalms one, two, it says it directly. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Here is the person who puts his tongue to the sweetness of the word of God and tastes what the Lord has for him. And he tastes that the Lord is good. More more to be desired than silver or gold or sweeter than honey. That's what it says in Psalms 19.10. But then Psalms 1.4 says, the wicked are not so. They do not delight in God or his word. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, but the way of the wicked will perish, is what it says. We just read in Psalms 1.5-6. So then the answer to the question becomes clearer. Why do the Psalms command us so often to delight in the Lord and be glad in the Lord and to rejoice in the Lord? It's that God is caring for us in a way that he is trying to preserve us from perishing. If we don't find God to be more worthy, more valuable, more precious, more satisfying than other people or th- other things, then we will suffer. And perhaps ultimately, what God knows is that we will perish. He knows what's best for us. You see, the Apostle Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians sixteen twenty-two: If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And the Apostle John, quoting the risen Jesus, put it like this, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Revelation 3.16. That's that's from one translation. My favorite translation of that passage says that he will actually quite literally vomit you out because he is so disgusted by your double-mindedness. You see, when I say that God cares for you and your emotion, people will often think that what I'm saying is that God cares and he's there for our pleasure that he should give us all that we want and we will receive everything we could ever want or dream or hope for. After all, in Psalms 1-3, it says that for us who love God, whatever we do prospers. But this is a misunderstanding of prosperity and wellness and you'll hear this so often when it comes to, to prosperity preaching and people who would preach on such things. It's a, it's a misunderstanding. You see, God commands us as people to be humble and rightfully so. Without God, we are captives to our flesh. We are wicked and small-minded and insufficient to bring ourselves joy, blessing, or anything long-lasting. You see, when we begin to seek in our own flesh, when we begin to seek the things that we desire, we, what we'll begin to see is that what we're chasing this, this form of ecstasy where it's, it's you seek these moments of happiness. You seek these moments that, that, that will fade away, that will, will go away. When we, in our own strength, begin to Uh, or in our own flesh begin to seek pleasure we're seeking something that uh, is, is not long lasting but if we begin to humble ourselves we'll begin to understand the one who is not humble you see so many times I hear people talk about every quality that God tells us to possess is godly right and I'll hear people say that humbleness is godly it's actually kind of a misunderstanding you see God is not humble why should he be God is perfect, God is above all else. He knows his own worth, he knows his value to us. Why would God be humble? Why would he say that that he is is humble, that he is less than, that he is less significant? He knows, he knows his importance, he knows his worth. He is so unfathomably incredible that he he can grant beyond what we could ever ask or think. But he knows what is best for us is perhaps not what we should ask or think, but what is best for us is the pursuit of him which is why in the Psalms he's telling us that we need to begin to seek and to delight in the Lord and not delight in the things that we should think or the things that we should ask for. You see, we are like children and God is our parent. And this is, this is a fun story uh, that my wife and I, I, we had a discussion, this was actually just yesterday. We were going to Young Adults last mor- yesterday morning and we were stopping for coffee But she was also hungry, so she asked what she should have for breakfast and she asked me, should I have a bagel or should I have a cinnamon bun? And I thought that is hilarious because I had never heard of that before. I thought a cinnamon bun for breakfast, that's a dessert. You should have your breakfast and then your dessert. But she told me about this this story of a foster parent who said that when, when she would have kids come to her place, she would give them cinnamon buns for breakfast because every kid loves cinnamon buns. But what we know is, is that in the same way that, that that parent, although her heart is in the right place because she cares for her children and she wants them to feel uh, welcomed and feel accepted and loved, we also know that the, the best kind of parent is the one who knows that the best thing for us is not a cinnamon bun for breakfast. In the same way, God is like our benevolent father who sees that our emotional and spiritual well-being is at its most healthy and well when we begin to become transformed so that we no longer delight in our flesh. We stop seeking the cinnamon buns for breakfast and we begin to realize that what we need is something healthy, something that will build us up and that will be long-lasting. You see, if you eat cinnamon buns for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you won't last long. But if you eat healthy and you you begin to receive that which is best for you, it will be long-lasting. And in the same way God sees himself and knows what is best for us, is is not that we should seek our, our desires, our passions, but we should seek him because he is long-lasting. He knows what we in our small-mindedness can't see, which is that when wicked delight, uh, it brings destruction, right? We just read that in Psalms 1, 6. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. But a fuller joy lasts, right? When we begin to delight in the Lord, we know that he gives us the joy of the Lord, which is found in eternity, it lasts. But not only on that other side of eternity. You see, as we begin to change our own mind and we begin to, to uh, fall in line with what God would have for us, we begin to delight in him on this side of eternity as well. And the things that we used to care for or desire, they fall away and we begin to actually take joy in something that is more worthwhile. So God commands us over and over again to delight in him above all things to be glad in him, to rejoice in him, to exalt in him, to love and prefer him and experience him as more satisfying than anything else. Because when you taste of this world, you know that it goes away, that, that uh, joy, that happy, or sorry, that happiness goes away. But when you taste of joy, you know that it, it does not perish, not only in the last judgment and in everlasting glory, but on this side of eternity as well. You see, what we as people seek is happiness. God calls us to forget happiness and experience joy. People will often use these two words as synonyms, joy and happiness. Happiness is not joy. Happiness is fleeting. God doesn't want you to experience that moment of ecstasy, a feeling of pleasure that ebbs and flows with how your life is going. You see, there are multi-millionaires, there are billionaires out there whose only goal is to make another billion dollars. They could live a hundred lifetimes and never spend the amount of money that they've already accumulated, but all they want is more. Because if they ever stop, they'd realize that they've everything they've ever worked for, their entire life's purpose and meaning is empty because it still doesn't bring them joy. It still doesn't bring them meaning. Jesus spoke of this in Mark eight thirty four to 37, and he called it the way of the cross. Start from, starting from verse, You see, happiness is elusive, joy isn't. I watched an interview with with the greatest NFL quarterback, in my opinion. You see, his name is Tom Brady. And he was asked of all of his seven Super Bowl rings, which one meant the most to him, which one was his favorite? And he answered, you know which one's my favorite? The next one. It was a poignant look into his drive as an athlete, and it's, it's why he became such a great quarterback because he kept working harder and harder to get the next one and the next one. And I'm sure that he he does appreciate and he does value his Super Bowl rings, but his mind was only ever on the next ring. He never took time to remember or to appreciate the things he had, because once he does so, he'll begin to realize that everything he ever worked for, every, the, the thing that was his drive for such a long amount of time, has left him with nothing. For our purposes today, it also shows why we as believers can avoid the pitfalls of happiness. When you're chasing happiness, you're chasing the desires of the flesh that will go as quickly as they come. But the joy of the Lord is everlasting. It remains whether we are rich, it remains whether we are poor, whether we have the dreams we once thought we would attain, whether you thrive or suffer, you are prospering. In scripture, it tells us, even when we should suffer, we are blessed. Because like Jesus told us, we can gain the whole world. We can gain each and every single thing and forfeit our soul. We'll not only feel empty, but we will have every single asset, we will have every single experience that this world has to offer us, and yet we'll be left with nothing to exchange for our soul. The only thing that makes us whole, the only thing that brings us meaning and purpose, the only thing that can provide you with joy that is everlasting, is the Lord. You see, Jesus told a, a one verse parable that goes like this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's Matthew 13, 44. Now notice that this parable doesn't teach that we signal the preciousness of the treasure by selling all that we have. But there's actually one specific word that is really important in there. It is more radical than that. It teaches that we signal the preciousness of the joy or the preciousness of the treasure by joyfully selling all that we have to get it. The radical early Christians in Hebrews ten thirty four demonstrate what joy means. It says, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I'm going to go through that passage. I'm going to go through that verse very slowly. You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of of your property. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not especially joyful when I have things plundered or or stolen from me, taken away from me, uh, my my possessions destroyed, and and the things of value taken. But they begin to, to take this, in a way of joy because they have compassion on those uh, in prison, but specifically they, they are fine, they are joyful with their things being destroyed, their things being taken, because they know that they already have a better possession and an abiding one, one that is inside of themselves. There is nothing in this world that is more valuable, there is nothing that will bring you joy like the Lord. That possession is something that nobody can take from you, it says that not even the enemy can snatch you from his hands. The only one who can take that possession away from you is yourself. If you begin to turn your gaze or your eyes away from Jesus, if you turn your gaze or your eyes away from delighting in the Lord, when you begin to delight in other possessions, you lose the one that you already have abiding inside of yourself. You see, this is what we call embattled joy. You see right here, the the Psalms also do something else for us that is utterly crucial for life and worship. It teaches that joy is not only for those who may experience blessings and prosperity that God can bring, but it's a sustaining presence for those who may hurt as well. One of the most quoted passages for uh, Christians in all of scripture is Philippians 4.13, right? Of course, we all have probably heard this one. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But did you know that this is not just a message of, of perfect hope that joy will be easy and that each day of your life you should prosper and experience life abundant, but rather it's a message of joy of the Lord that is intended to sustain us. Let me read it from verse 12 because people often quote Philippians 4, 13, but they'll leave verse 12 out. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in every, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, the psalmists command us to delight in the Lord because if we don't check our emotions, it's gonna take you on a roller coaster. There will be highs and lows, and you'll feel the, 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 the ecstasy, but you'll also feel the depths of despair, and there will be nothing to keep you tethered. Your sorrow will tear you apart because without God, there's no hope. There's no reason for you to feel that way. There's no reason to be brought that low. You may have heard somebody say this before, but Christians have had the easiest time dealing with COVID, because we know that no matter what happens to our, our possessions, our jobs, our our physical bodies, we know that the thing that we possess abides within us and it can't be taken away. Whether we're locked away in our houses, whether we have sickness, whether we have jobs, it does not matter because the best possession we have abides in us and it cannot be taken away. But if I didn't have that abiding within myself, what's the point? Why would I suffer? There's no reason. Your sorrow will tear you apart because without God, there is no hope, or reason for why I ought to be brought low. How can we be sure that the Psalms are commanding us to delight in the Lord as a warning that suffering comes uh, in delighting in our own flesh? Because the Psalmists also talk about uh, the the vision of the Psalms uh, and those who would write them. Their vision of God is often obscured as well. The joy of their heart is often conflicted and hindered whenever he recognizes his sorrow, when God's face is turned away from Israel. This is at a time when God's face uh, would shine upon Israel, but also be, t- be turned away when they were faithless. Here are just a few examples of, of, of the psalmist when God had turned his face away. I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me, Psalm thirty eight seventeen. I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged, Psalm twenty five sixteen to 17. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation means his anger towards them. There is no health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden, and they are too heavy for me. Psalms 38, three to four. You see, God cares for your emotion, and that's what I've been trying to get at today. If somebody ever tells you that God doesn't care how you feel, or or that you should ignore your feelings, uh, correct them. God cares for your emotion. He tends to your spirit and he sees you and he delivers you when you are embattled and he celebrates with you when you are in victory. I'm gonna welcome the worship team up at this time. You see, when we're in time of difficulty or trial or sadness, loneliness or despair, we should go to the Father with the Holy Spirit as our intercessor. But we should also pray for the Spirit as our comforter as well. We must begin to recognize that God cares for our emotion and remember where our joy comes from. There's a modern worship song by one of my favorite artists who sings of his, interpret, his interpretation of the Psalms about how God's joy is for all times. And it's the only emotion that we as humans experience that is not fleeting and is intended to be understood for two times. Some are for valleys and some are for hills. The lyrics are as follows. He, he writes and he sings, in the valley, I will lift my eyes to the one who sees me there. The valley is the low place. When you are in your lowest time, you can turn your eyes up and, and know that God sees you there. When I'm standing on the mountain aft, I didn't get there on my own. And I'm walking through the valley And No, I am not alone. These lyrics tell us of how God is with us in each season of our lives and how he cares for us and our emotions and our spirit. You see, these lyrics are derived from Psalms 121. And this is the last Psalm that I'll read for us today. It demonstrates how the Psalms, uh, the book that I call scripture's songbook, and we still sing these songs, we still sing hymns all the time, continues to play heaven's songs for us as we as believers sing and live alongside the Psalmist through every season of our own lives. In the hills and the valleys, attaining to times, uh, at times what is considered embattled joy. When we're in our valley seasons where we have to suffer but we know that our joy uh, means that, that whatever we are facing, it, it means nothing. The, the most important possession you have abides within you. Sometimes that joy is earned through trial or triumphant joy. Sometimes it's earned through trial. Sometimes it's triumphant joy that you do not earn or deserve. It was derived from Psalms 121, which I will use to close with as our benediction. So when we go forth and the next time you are brought high or low, or the next time you're asking yourself, why don't I feel happy? Or the next time you're told that God doesn't care for your feelings or that you should push your feelings aside, remember the command of scripture's songbook. There are eight commands you must remember. To love, to stand in awe, to exalt, to rejoice, be glad, hope, give thanks, and most importantly, to delight in the Lord, which in Psalms 121 goes like this. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Amen. Hey, Lighthouse family. Thanks so much for tuning into another one of our podcast sermons. I'm Pastor Joel Sloss. For more podcasts, media, and live stream services at lighthouseniagara.com, Sundays at 10 o'clock. God bless.